will fix you. Hello, and welcome to We Will Fix You, the podcast that knows exactly what it's going to do with all that junk. Joining me tonight, Ms. Lucy Boyles, the Dirt Assistant. You know, sometimes when something's really dirty and you're like, damn, how did that dirt get there? It's because I helped. Yes, you did. Mr. Dave Convery, the wailing ghost of the man who died in the woods 50 years ago this very night. Now available for parties and bar mitzvahs. Save me a piece of cake, yeah? And I am Roger Hart, who filibustered the first five debates on whether a Jaffa cake is a biscuit. Tonight, we will be fixing you. And you may be fixed, in turn, by asking us questions at We Will Fix You Show at gmail.com. Our question. We've all been there, our questioner writes. The mandatory fun day with the activity that everyone likes, that you are physically incapable of, allergic to, uh, annoyed with, doing for the hundredth time. Maybe you're a, a bit of a Popeye and you're partnered with Br- Brutus, with your olive oil watching. Other types of social awkwardness all potentially impinging on your ability to make a living and be what's considered a good tax-paying citizen in these hard times. Then the sort of rage you have to suppress when a professional rival maybe nicks your pudding in front of everyone. Normally a good-natured, take-it-lying-down person put into an awkward situation where, you know, the ego takes a bit of a beating, but you have to like it or lump it. Work. What do you do? Ms. Boy. So um, I decided I was going to focus on the sort of participation in mandatory fun events at work angle here. Um, I've also been someone who feels very awkward at mandatory work socialising events. And something that makes it particularly hard for me is I have this curse where I don't actually even hate them conceptually. Every time one comes up, there's a part of my brain that is like, this sounds really fun. I hope I will have a nice time. And the rest of my brain is like, remember yet again that you were constitutionally incapable of having a nice time. Um, so to survive, I, I do a selection of the following things. So there's, there's, there's keeping very firmly in mind that this is not really for me, and it's okay if I don't enjoy it on its own terms. It's just another work thing to get through. You know, mentality-wise, you are alone in this crowd, and your job is surviving the day so that you can go home and do something you actually enjoy. You can also, you can take the kind of pretend I'm an anthropologist, people observation type approach, which is fun if you find that kind of thing fun. And I mean, I find it fun because people are really weird. And if you watch them a lot, you'll see them doing some very weird things. So weird. Um, this is this is a technique I learned from my mother who, who told us in retrospect that she essentially pretended to be someone else in order to survive her own wedding day because she hates being the centre of attention. So pretend to be someone else. Um, Sometimes I try and think of other attendees whose company I enjoy and I make an explicit effort to spend time with them during the event, you know. You can think to yourself, I might not have fun, but at least I'll have the opportunity to talk to Benelin from marketing. Um, I give myself explicit permission to not perform having a good time all the time at the event, because God, that's exhausting. Does your face hurt from smiling or what at the end of these things? Um, And I also give myself explicit permission to leave as soon as I want to or as soon, you know, after the kind of mandatory structured bit ends and not feel like I have to hang around socialising until the whole thing finishes. Um, And I try and cultivate detachment about the competitive element if there is one, which is very easy for me because I hate any kind of competition. But, you know, if, if this is a thing for you, you can work on it. 
So my mentality is one of, I don't care if I don't win, I don't care if my team doesn't win, I'm not here to win stuff. If other people try and make me get involved in competitive stuff, it is fine for me to be weird and awkward because realistically it's them who just made it weird and awkward by trying to make me participate. I don't care if I don't get any pudding, I don't care if someone stole my pudding, I don't care at all. Like, the, behold the field in which I grow my fucks and see that it is barren kind of approach. Um, so I think there are, there are kind of two ways you can handle this. You can branch and say, you know, as a subset, you can find try and find joy in the small bits that do actually work for you. So at my most recent company event, this was playing pinball and drinking San Pellegrino. Those were the enjoyable bits. Uh, you know, the fruit one, not the one that's just water, the, the, the nice fruit one. I like just water. I mean, just water's okay, but this was the the, the, the blood orange one. That's a oh, good that's one. It's the good. It's the mm. best one of the of the easily available ones. Yes. Well, wait, what are these hard to find ones? The brown one. You don't get the brown one very often. What's in the brown one? If you go to uh, Boca in London, you will find uh, other San Pellegrinos that are not for normal people, not for the mortals. Do you have to like? Is there a code word? Yeah, it's like a San Pellegrino speakeasy. You're implying that Italian people are immortal? Yes. Okay. So yes, try and find joy in the small bits that do actually work for you, or you can commit even harder to the idea that none of this is for you, so it doesn't matter if you don't enjoy any of it and if you get no pudding at the end. I think this also involves an element of just caring much less about what other people think of you. So I think one thing I kind of picked up from your question is it revolves a lot around kind of the actions of other people around you and how this impacts you more than it reflects your own experiences. So why do you let other people have this much of an impact on you? Again, think about it. You're alone in this crowd and your job is surviving the day so you can go home and do something you actually enjoy. Let the brain of the crowd wash over you without leaving residue. That's my advice. I solidly endorse avoiding crowd residue. It's... Sticky. Yeah. What I focused on here is the, the ego element. I sort of looked at your question and thought, a lot of this seems to be about trying to nurture a self that a workplace isn't going to tolerate. The fact that there are things beating you down and under it you're still a person with hopes and dreams, you still have some ego. How do you not just scream and let it out? In the grim world of having to sell your labour under capitalism, tough. Workplace culture, unless you happen to be in a privileged enough position to be one of the ones defining it, and you probably won't because workplace culture is basically the worst behaviour your leaders will tolerate, uh, and it sounds like you're probably not going to behave that badly. Uh, you're probably stuck with sucking it up. Um, and so what I think we need to look at as a treatment for the bruising and battering of the ego is ego death and subsequent catabasis, that passage of the mythic hero through a trial that reshapes and recombines them, that brings them back from their underworld experience, renewed and having transcended their inward-looking concerns. Having gone down to the sea from the mainland. Yes. And Joseph Campbell in um, Hero of the Thousand Faces, a seminal work on mythology, talks about this. Um, he writes, A hero ventures forth from the world of common day into a region of supernatural wonder. Fabulous forces there encountered, and a decisive victory is won. The hero comes back from this mysterious adventure with the power to bestow boons on his fellow man. That sounds pretty good, right? Can I also just plug the Hawkwind album Warrior on the Edge of Time at the moment if you like that kind of thing. There's a lot about like the Universal Champion from Michael Moorcock and stuff. It's actually listening it's good. To that, listening to that sounds way better than what I'm about to suggest. Because what I'm about to suggest is the inexpensive way of going on a hero's journey. But mine's a lot more hassle if you could just listen to Hawkwind album. It's already on Spotify, so you don't have to do any work assuming you have a subscription, just to type in those words. 
bonus fix. Now, if you are going to go on the hero's journey, again, actual adventures are difficult, dragons are relatively hard to come by, hobbits are clearly annoying. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk you through the stages of the hero's journey. There are, depending on the version, somewhere between 11 and 17, and walk you through most of them. I've elided a couple of them because they're a bit sexist. Um, and how you can go on the hero's journey in your office life. So the hero's journey begins with the call to adventure, in which, which the hero receives a call. A meeting invite. You're going on an all-day off-site. The common next step is refusing the call, in which the hero feels a pullback to daily life or some kind of um, uncertainty. Oh no, a calendar clash, and you'd rather work from home that day. What tends to come next is supernatural aid. Tough luck, fucko, the area manager says so. Next up, crossing the threshold. Your final step out of the, the ordinary world and into the mythic world. This is, this is just getting in your car and going to the offsite. I'm sorry, this one isn't much fun. Or, or on a bus, you could take a bus. Or ride a bike, you could walk. Yeah, uh, there are. Jetpack, small, light aircraft. You could be born on a, a scurrying of voles, a great scurrying. Yes. Commemoration um, of voles. Indeed. And, uh, but, but you must cross the threshold. You must take a decisive step into the mythic world, the mythic world of your all-day off-site. Where begins the road of trials? This is, this is the part where the hero is tested, and there are a couple of sub-components, but it all, it all basically amounts to a set of adversities that you must overcome. The meeting really sucks. You have to go around the room and introduce yourself. There's one of those trust games. You've got to make something with marshmallows. And that fuckwit from marketing is going to read out their slides. They're going to stand there and drone out every fucking bullet point. And of course, the AV doesn't work. The road of trials. And the coffee. And the coffee. Now, often in, in some versions, there is either the encounter with the goddess or woman as temptress inserted at this section. And there's frantic backpedaling to make it less sexist. But what, it, what this is standing in for metaphorically is a kind of an optional phase of... Of, of kind of... Getting jiggy with it. Yeah, but also of temptation. So there's, there's potentially a sexual element to the road of trials, but there's this idea of an opportunity to abandon the quest that you can take or not take. The road to getting jiggy with it is paved with trials. It is. It absolutely is. Um, and, and in this case, well, you know, the AV doesn't work, but your kind of your temptation, your, your option to escape that you will not take and that will equip you with a powerful magical talisman for the road ahead, is when Steve from IT asks someone to leave the room and go via VGA cable. Like, is this a boon, or will you miss an important part of the meeting? You will go. You will go quickly, and you will return with that cable. For what comes next is atonement with the father. This is, this is an authority figure, not necessarily a male figure. And uh, when, by the time you get back, you, uh, you have to sell, sell an idea to your boss. You've reached one of those workshopping stages, and you've got to sell that idea to your boss. Damn lucky you had that VGA cable, Sonny, for it is a powerful talisman. You've got his laptop working properly, and you are fucking golden now. Next follows apotheosis. This is, this is the grand moment of, of realisation, of, of self-reflection. Weathering the presentation, you come to the brainstorming group work, and it hits you. You get it. These people are all idiots. Their lives are meaningless, and what's more, they know that. Deep down they know that. And they all think it about each other. You have reached realisation. 
And this, this is the, the centre point, this is, this is the peak. The ultimate boon is, is the next phase. This is where the hero has acquired the object or the thing that they were nominally there for, and in so doing also the self-knowledge that they were actually kind of metaphorically there for. You've done it. You've snuck your pet project into your group's discussion feedback, and, and more than that, Steve from IT has agreed to do the minutes. You can go home now. But the next stage is refusal of return, the temptation of being stuck in the mythic space. This is one of the liminal shufflings out of that underworld. You've done it. You snuck in your pet project. This is, this is brilliant. It feels too good. And if you go back to the office, you'll have to actually act on this shit. So you suggest a, a deeper planning session or, or a working group. That could, that could keep things going forever. What happens typically here is the magic flight, a kind of mystically assisted pull away from the underworld. Fuck it, pub lads. You're screwed now, you've got to go. But there is always a rescue from without. This is one of the, the final phrases of kind of extrinsic intervention, often by a wizard or a magical figure in, in these stories. Um, and you know, so there you are, you've, you've had a pint of warm best bitter and Abelard from Finances has explained his strong views about taking back control. Maybe this wasn't great, like this isn't, this isn't. But what's this? A text message. Crossing the return threshold, the final phase. The final increment. You can leave now. People you actually like are in a pub across town. They've just texted you. You can fucking go. Bringing us to the final two stages, the final transition. The mastery of the two worlds. This is the, the step out of the, out of the darkness and into a kind of a new normalcy, into a new original situation. Basically, at the better pub, you tell your mates what happened today. And this brings you to freedom to live, the final stage, the final part of negation of the self in the hero's journey where you have stopped seeing your little troubles and you have brought this boon of knowledge out into the world. Which is to say, you're five pints down, you're on top of the world, you get that it's all shit, and you're just like, yeah, all right, I can fucking deal. You have achieved ego death and catharsis. You get it. Alternatively, you could just neck a fuck ton of peyote experience, kind of accelerated ego death, and carry on with your life. Well, I was going to say the recommended way of doing it is uh, buying enough hallucinogen that the man of the shop in Amsterdam gives you a discount because he thinks you are fucking crazy, and then seeing what happens nine hours later. That is the consensus of the medical community, and definitely not an anecdote. Yes. I'm glad I'm finally being recognised as the medical community, like I deserve. Or, or you could go on a hero's journey, negate yourself. There is uh, an optional harder. final stage to the hero's journey, which is return to the villagers with a boon, which in this case I think would be buying around. Yeah, I think that's kind of roll up in freedom to live, it I is. guess, but yeah. But I feel if you're going to wank on about a very long meeting, it's the least you can do. Yeah, get around it, Mr. Convery. So you, you sort of, you talk initially about wanting to nurture a self, a sense of self, but you do mention quite a lot of uh, rivalry and tormentors, so... I'm going to go ahead and assume that any sort of sense of self that you want to uh, engender is going to come with a certain amount of revenge. And I think we can, we can really sort of get into the nitty gritty of getting that revenge. First of all, if you haven't, uh, go ahead and uh, read the Edgar Allan Poe short story, The Cask of Amontillado. 
it's a it's a lovely little tale in which our hero has been slighted by a terrible aggressor and during a carnival or work do if you're paying attention to how I'm mangling this metaphorically uh, he lures this fiend to a a cellar or quiet spot on the grounds with the promise of fancy booze which may literally be fancy booze and after a short while he triumphs as the righteous must and he uh, bricks this prick up in the cellar job done now I think that that is a very straightforward manual for dealing with said rivals and tormentors. You locate them, you lure them, you take them into a cellar, and you break them up. But this might be a bit extreme. HR certainly wouldn't be thrilled about it. So They'll only go up to a waste bricking before it becomes gross misconduct. Yeah. Sometimes they don't even let you bring your own trowel. Health and safety gone mad. Yeah. So you might not want to spend the time scoping out the location of a work event in advance. You might not want to carry a load of mortar and bricks with you wherever you go. I don't know. But let's assume that you want a slightly less lethal but still revengey path that, that you can take. So let's think of some nicer things to do. So nicer in this context, of course, meaning anything that doesn't end up with you bricking someone up alive in a cellar. You can put laxatives in their drink or food. The old classic of cling film on the toilet so that they uh, cover themselves in urine, always humiliating, takes them down a peg or two. You've got to really not be paying attention to not notice that there is cling film in your toilet though, it's quite reflective. Yeah, yeah, maybe you need to turn down the lights. Again, it might be a bit too much work. Um, if they've got hand cream, uh, refill that with lube so they just cover themselves in slippery stuff and watch them try and get out and cover the, and, and open doors and so on. I don't, I don't know, um, is that plausible? I mean, could you imagine that happening to someone? Yes. Yes, I could. Uh, refill their lube with hand cream. Less likely to be lying around the office. I uh, will say that, but if the opportunity presents itself, you should take it. Silky um, soft dinkers. Yeah. This one I like. Uh, when they go on holiday, get little bits of uh, wet tissue paper and jam it in under their keys and then get mushroom spores or cress seeds under there. So by the time they get back, they have sprouted a forest of horror from their keyboard uh, and they need a, a, a stern talking to from the authorities, the, the work popo. So I think we can agree that this is all good stuff, but you need to make sure people know that it's you who who done it, so that you, um, you know, gain the the kudos and respect that comes with playing a series of infantile pranks on your workmates. A lot of people will know enough that the, the, they can tell the the social cues. People people slight you, and they suffer in turn. People will start to make that association. But if you combine it with an insistence that everyone refer to you as Montresor. Uh, you will definitely uh, build the reputation that you are looking for. Or just get really fired, like really fired very, very hard. There's a risk here. Well, didn't that just fix it? If you would like such narratives and metaphors, such as succulent delusions, or... No, no, we will, we will not offer you a dram from Montiardo. We are quite tight-fisted. But advice is free, and you can have some by writing to us at wewillfixyoushow at gmail.com.